0: This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Jeremy Hunt, a former foreign minister, has been appointed Britain's fourth chancellor of the Exchequer this year. He replaces Kwasi Kwarteng, the second shortest serving finance minister on record, who was sacked after his chaotic mini-budget unleashed financial and political turmoil in late September. Liz Truss, the prime minister, announced another humiliating U-turn, abandoning plans to scrap a proposed increase in corporation tax. It remains to be seen whether the latest measure will appease markets concerned about the rest of Ms. Truss's unfunded tax cuts. Elon Musk, the world's richest man, said his satellite internet company, Starlink, could not, quote, indefinitely, fund the service in Ukraine. Most of its 20,000 terminals in the country have been paid for by Western governments, but Mr. Musk has contributed by waiving monthly fees. But the capricious billionaire's relations with Ukraine have soured after his recent tweet appeared to mirror the Kremlin's talking points. A Maltese court sentenced two brothers to 40 years' imprisonment, each for the murder of Daphne Caruana Galizia, an investigative journalist killed by a car bomb in 2017. Alfred and George Giorgio had pled not guilty, but later admitted involvement in exchange for a more lenient punishment. Four men have confessed to partaking in the murder. The alleged plotter is still awaiting trial. Kroger, America's largest grocery chain by market share, said it would buy Albertsons, the second largest, for $24.6 billion. Together, the two would account for 13% of grocery sales. Only Walmart commands a bigger market slice at 22%, but that is assuming that the deal goes through. Trustbusters at the Federal Trade Commission may try to block the deal. A jury in New York convicted the founder and former boss of Nicola an American electric vehicle startup of defrauding investors. Prosecutors alleged that Trevor Milton made false statements about Nikola's technology by claiming, for example, that an inoperable prototype was fully functional. Mr. Milton, they said, took advantage of the fact that Nikola went public through a special-purpose acquisition company. Traditional IPOs have stricter disclosure rules. Worries about the direction of Italy's new hard-right coalition government deepened after Lorenzo Fontana was elected the new Speaker of the Lower House of Italy's Parliament. The MP from the Northern League is known for his Eurosceptic views and admiration for Russia's President, Vladimir Putin. On Wednesday, a politician who collects fascist memorabilia was elected President of the Senate. Amid rising tensions on the Korean Peninsula, the north fired a short-range ballistic missile off its east coast, the latest in a series of such launches. The country also buzzed the heavily militarized border with the south, with fighter jets and fired 170 artillery rounds into the, quote, sea buffer zones off the coast. South Korea's president, Yoon Suk-yul, denounced the, quote, provocations. And word of the week, Siloviki. Russia's Privileged Securocrats
1: And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Russia on the Back Foot in Ukraine Ukrainian cities are still reeling from the barrage of Russian missiles that destroyed civilian infrastructure across the country at the start of the week. But for the soldiers on the ground, there is no rest. Russian mercenaries from the Wagner Group have continued their slow, grinding advance on the city of Bakhmut in Donetsk province in Ukraine's east. But Russia is on the back foot everywhere else. In Luhansk province, also in eastern Ukraine, Russian troops are digging in, anticipating a Ukrainian attack towards Svatve, part of Russia's new defensive line. Russia's position is even shakier in the south. Ukraine continues to advance towards a reported 20,000 Russian soldiers on the west bank of the Dnieper River near Kherson city. Their position looks extremely fragile. Vladimir Saldo, the head of Russia's puppet regime in Kherson, has asked for Russia's help in evacuating residents from the area. Quote, we know that Russia doesn't abandon its own, he said earlier this week plaintively. CHINA'S LARGEST TRADE EXPO OPENS ONLINE The twice-yearly Canton Fair, China's largest trade show, began in the 1950s. It was held during China's Great Famine and its Cultural Revolution. Mao badges were then a hot commodity. Even when the SARS epidemic struck in 2003, the show went on. But since the arrival of COVID-19, the fair has moved online. Over 34,000 Chinese firms are expected to show off their wares virtually in the 132nd edition, which begins on Saturday. Many suppliers will host live-stream video demonstrations of their products. Buyers may miss the touch and feel that were an important part of deal-making in the past. As the world economy slows, China's trade is also entering a difficult period. The growth of exports, which provided crucial support to China's economy last year, has slowed sharply in recent months. Visitors to the Canton Fair will not be able to touch the products, but they will smell the apprehension. Parisians Rally Against Rising Prices The French are on edge. Days of strikes at oil refineries by workers demanding pay increases have led to petrol shortages and long queues. Unions have called a general strike for October 18th. On Sunday, demonstrators will take to the streets of Paris to protest against the rising cost of living. The march is organized by Jean-Luc Mélenchon's left-wing alliance, NUPES. Some unionists have promised to join in. Anne Arnault, a French novelist and winner of this year's Nobel Prize for Literature, is also backing the demonstrators. Never shy of a provocative allusion, Mr. Mélenchon has called on participants to, quote, do better than the Women's March of 1789, an early event in the French Revolution. The planned show of force comes at an awkward time for President Emmanuel Macron. He is spending heavily to tamp down energy bills, but he is also planning to raise the retirement age, an unpopular measure after having lost his parliamentary majority. France looks set for a difficult autumn on and off the streets. The T20 World Cup The West Indies are the only team to win cricket's 2020 World Cup twice, triumphing in 2012 in Sri Lanka and again four years later in India. The second win was particularly memorable. Needing a daunting 19 runs from their final six balls, Carlos Brathwaite hit England's Ben Stokes into the stands for four consecutive sixes. But if the Windies are to prevail in this year's tournament, which begins in Australia on Sunday, they will have to do it the hard way. Their dismal showing in the previous World Cup in 2021, where they lost four of their five matches, consigned them to qualifying for this edition. To reach the main stage, they will have to finish in the top two of a group also containing Ireland, Scotland, and Zimbabwe. They will be favorites, but their task has been made more difficult by the absence of star batsman Shimron Hetmeyer, who was dropped from the squad after missing his flight to Australia. Weekend Profile, Mohammad Rastami Gachi, Iran's Brutal Enforcer It was his rapid promotion that surprised many. Just a few months into his post as the police chief of Talesh, in Iranian provincial backwater, Mohammad Rastami Gachi was promoted to head of the Islamic Republic's Morality Police, 400 kilometers away in the capital, Tehran. Previous Iranian governments had never thought much of him but the incoming administration of Ebrahim Raisi in 2021 admired Mr. Gachi's hardline beliefs. Shortly after taking the job, he declared his intention to enforce the mandatory veil for women, which had fallen loose under the pragmatist presidency of Hassan Rouhani. Quote, those who stubbornly remove the hijab are criminals, Mr. Gachi told Iran's press. Over the following months, he reactivated the morality police. Their men in dark green uniforms and women in black chadors scoured the streets hunting for infringements of Sharia. They broke up bands jamming in cafes. They hauled girls caught for bad hijabs away in their windowless vans and took them to facilities for re-education. Sometimes they gave them a beating. And then, on September 13th, Mr. Gachi's men carted away 22-year-old Masa Amini to her death three days later for improperly wearing the veil. The popular protest that this sparked had, in truth, been some time in the making. Under Mr. Rouhani, Iran breathed more easily with an unwritten contract. Leave the clerics to wield power and let society live as it wants. The Islamic Republic shrank into an Islamic government. Mr. Raisi's determination to turn the clock back and apply Sharia to an even more secular population tipped resentment into civil disobedience. Even before Ms. Amini was killed, female students were spilling out of their segregated campus canteens into male ones. Women on buses and the metro discarded even their token nod to a head covering. The mullah's crackdown might have been easier to digest had they practiced the moral strictures they preached. But while people's incomes declined, Mullah's sons ostentatiously combed Tehran's highways in their Ferraris, and some questioned Mr. Gachi's standards of enforcement when it came to his own. His brother accumulated businesses in their hometown of Kerman Shah. As protests against Miss Amini's death spread, costing so far more than two hundred lives, Mr. Gachi's patrols disappeared from the streets. Western governments have imposed sanctions against him and his morality police for, quote, spreading a culture of violence and excessive force. For Mr. Gachi, they were just spreading Islam. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Maznun Bujang, Kuching, Malaysia, North America, Wendy King, Sherbrooke, Canada. Central and South America, Caio Priskulnik, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Europe, Sven Nilsen, Copenhagen, Denmark. Africa, Ailsa Green, Chalma, Zambia. Oceana, Andrew McMenamin, Lincoln, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Joshua, Rocky Balboa, Smokey Robinson, Zion, and Bryce Dallas Howard. The theme is U.S. National Parks, Joshua Tree, Rocky Mountain, Great Smoky Mountains, Zion, and Bryce Canyon. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Virgil, who was born on this day in 70 BC. They can because they think they can.